Support for KISU comes from listeners and the Idaho Human Rights Education Center, working to protect gay and transgender Idahoans from discrimination in employment, housing, and education. Detailed information about statewide events being held on January 28th is online at addthewords.org. This is KISU Pocatello, Idaho Falls. A former journalist, folk singer, and attorney, he is an international number one best-selling author. His novels have appeared on the best-selling lists around the world, including the New York Times, the Times of London, the Sydney Morning Herald, and the Los Angeles Times. His books are sold in 150 countries and translated into 25 languages. The author of 27 novels, two collections of short stories, and a nonfiction law book, he's received or been shortlisted for a number of awards around the world. And of course, we're talking about international thriller writer Jeffrey Deaver. Hello, and welcome to the Marshall Public Library's Radio Hour. My name is Greg Grasso, and I'm at the studio of KISU 91.1 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Idaho State University in Pocatello, Idaho. Good day to you, Jeff. Thank you for joining us today. Well, hello, Greg. I'm delighted to be able to chat with you. I, I am as well, sir. I am a, uh, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of the thriller uh, genre. And um, let's, let's start out with a question about a, a thriller. You know, in my mind, a thriller should grab someone at the very beginning and, uh, and take them on a, on a whirlwind ride um, and leave them. The most important thing is that the reader has to be left with this, with this indelible mark, um, which your books certainly do to me. So what's your secret, Jeff? Um, where does all this stuff come from? Give, uh, give, me, a, give me an insight into your head. Sure. I, um, and I, I, I think the way you just described a thriller is uh, is perfect. It uh, comports exactly with my theory of writing, uh, well, frankly, not only this type of book, but any type of fiction. And I think it was said best by Mickey Spillane, the great pulp fiction writer from the 50s and 60s, and, and actually even after that. We just lost him a few years ago. Yes. But, but Mickey said, people don't read books to get to the middle. We read books to get to the end, and it's the author's job to do whatever he or she can to make sure that the reader races from the beginning to the very end of the book and comes away with it um, and and has a feeling of uh, being somehow emotionally changed. It doesn't really matter if the book has a happy ending or a sad ending. I personally prefer happy endings, but it doesn't really matter. But it has to be a credible and an emotionally resonant ending so that it, it stays with you. Now, in order to do that, well, I, I teach courses in this, and I'm not going to belabor it for your, your listeners out there. I don't want to bore them. But it, it, in a very brief synopsis, I come up with a, an idea that will allow me to tell a book of the sort I just described that moves very quickly. In my case, even though I was an attorney, probably not, say, a courtroom drama, because as wonderful as those can be, they do move rather slowly. I, I don't want to do that. I want to come up with an idea that is going to race the reader from the very beginning of the book until the end. And once I have that idea, I don't start to write it. I do an outline. I spend about eight months outlining the book from start to finish and come up with um, all of the scenes 
in the book. Uh, it takes me, uh, it's a full-time job. It's eight, ten hours a day doing the outline. But when I put that up on my wall and stare at it, I realize that I've uh, either um, written a book that moves very quickly from start to finish, or I've created an idea that just isn't going to work, and I throw it out and start over again. But only by creating a schematic like that, uh, I guess we could call it a, a blueprint for the roller coaster, can I then make sure that when I write the book, it is going to do what I just said, race along from start to finish. Well, when you design this uh, wire diagram, when you design this matrix, um, do you – now, I've talked to a number of different uh, authors. Uh, some some actually see the scenes in their head. Do you have that third mm-hmm. eye? Do you, do you really? You see it? Yeah, I've you... been I, – I, I, very curiously, Greg, I, for a writer, and as you said, I've written quite a few books and have a – a journalism undergrad degree and was a reporter for a while, so I, 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 I like to write. I, uh, I, I enjoy it, and I, I have a you know fair a level of skill at it, but I don't remember words. I have a terrible memory. However, I should say a terrible verbal memory. I do have a very good visual sense, mm-hmm. and I'm sure uh, you or maybe some of your listeners who are psychologists might be aware of whatever phenomenon that is, but I have a, a very vivid imagination and can very easily summon up uh, the, the room that I'm writing about, uh, the smell of the, uh, the field I'm walking through as my character, uh, looking at a crime scene, uh, for instance, uh, the, uh, the sense of what it's like visually to chase a bad guy down the street, although I personally am a coward and I would turn around and run away from the bad guys <laughs> in real life. My uh, my uh, characters don't have that luxury. Luxury generally, so I have to get into their uh, their heads. And I, uh, you know, most of this thriller writing uh, work is just that. It's uh, day labor. You kind of roll up your sleeves and you get it done. But if I've been lucky enough to have been born with with anything, I, I don't want to call it a talent, but it's just a quirk of personality. It's that I do have a, a vivid imagination and I can. Uh, sit down in usually a dark room, or I close my eyes. I, I can touch type mm-hmm. and picture mm-hmm. uh, the scene, and I hear the dialogue, and then out comes the book. Wow, that's crazy! Because when I read a book, if 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 those chapters don't capture me, if I can't build a little picture uh, that I can connect to, you know, throughout throughout reading and go back to. Um, it doesn't work for me. I mean, I'm I'm visual also, I guess, um, and and I know that a lot a lot of people are. Well, um, I, I took a, a a course in actually it was screenwriting mm. uh, some years ago. Um, a fellow named Robert McKee, I believe that was his name, uh, and he's he's written um, several books on primarily writing scripts, but you can apply them to any type of writing, and uh, I I took away many valuable things from the course, but the one thing I remember he said was that the more fanciful the world you create, the more grounded in real detail it has to be. Um, Because I, at least, and you were kind enough to say you were a a fan of my my book, so you know, I I walk right up to the edge of <laughs> credibility. My my books are not meant to be um, uh, 
socioeconomic and political surveys of what crime is really like in America. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a whole different thing, and there are many fine writers who who explore that. I I kind of do create roller coaster rides. My job is to entertain and and thrill, and that requires me to really walk walk to the edge of credibility. I, I never want to step over that so that the reader says, oh, give me a break. That couldn't happen. I try to remain credible. But in order to maintain that bond between the story and my my reader, I do add a lot of very uh, very specific details so that you, you smell the smoke when you're walking through Southeast D.C. in my book, for instance, uh, The Devil's Teardrop. Or um, if you're in um, um, Germany in 1936, in my book, Garden of Beasts, you know what the the sausage and the schnapps taste like, I hope, because that's the kind of specific image I've tried to create for my uh, for my readers, so that I kind of draw them into that story, and they, um, they're happy to suspend uh, a bit of disbelief for the length of time it takes them to read it. Well, your your works are also plausible. Okay, um, let's take Garden of Beasts. Um, sets in 1936, a German American mm-hmm. in New York City. Um, he's a he's a hitman. Okay, um, I can relate to that. I grew up in Stamford, Connecticut, during the 50s and 60s <laughs> with the, with but, the mob. Not, with the mob, but, but not the hitman. Not the hitman, hit no. but the mob <laughs> involved in the construction business. You know, back then. Yeah. You know, come on, give me a break. Oh, yeah. they, they were all over. Sure. So, and, and, and what I like is that everything is plausible. Um, there's nothing uh, that I've read in, in, in your books, any of your books, that would say, forget about it. This guy's office freaking head. He, he, he doesn't have a clue. You get, down to, you get down to those sights and smells and tastes, those, those uh, d- descriptive uh, – um, you know, uh, um, parallels with with uh, with psychology, with uh, you know, it's just it just these scenarios are very plausible, and that's what I enjoy about it. it, it so, give me a sense now. Now, <laughs> Garden of Beasts is is something a little bit different than most of your work, right? I mean, it's sure. yeah, um, it's my only uh, historical. Uh, yeah, everything else is the present day. Yeah, so and I I. I think I mentioned earlier um, off air. I, I, I've been studying thirty nine to forty five war, war history for for many years, and I just I, I, I love it. I, I I read everything I can uh, about that era because uh, to me, growing up in the fifties and sixties, that's what Pop taught us. You know, he um, that's why Pop went to uh, serve in World War Two in. in uh, 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 the Pacific, so on and so forth. So, so how did you how did you develop this? Uh, how did you develop this character, this time zone, uh, time frame? Why, why did you go into uh, Germany and and why why? Sure, yeah, please, please. I'll, I'll tell you tell you exactly, and it, it comes from a kind of a different place. Now, I will hmm. add the, um, the the little element of background, which you will appreciate, given your comments a moment ago. Yes, sir. I was born in 1950, and my father was a veteran of the uh, European campaign. He was a, a, a flyer um, mm-hmm. on the small attack bombers. And uh, as as many people in that generation who came back after the, the war and, and settled down uh, to a, um, 
you know, a, a normal life, the his experiences during the war, which included almost getting killed several times, right. um, affected him. And it was something he was eventually able to uh, to talk about and and share his uh, stories with me. And he would still meet his uh, Army Air Force buddies from time to time, as I did too. So I come from a a, a background where, although I was not military myself, I was uh, I've been fascinated with the uh, with the military and military history. And so I had that world to kind of draw on. But I'll tell you where Garden of Beasts came from. It came from the 9-11 attacks. Um, I was, um, I had left New York at that point, but I used to work uh, literally kitty-corner from the Trade Towers. I had been there visiting people. Uh, I know friends who worked in the building, um, in one building or the other. And actually, I had been on Windows on the World, the restaurant, Windows on the World, uh, the restaurant, mm. about a month before the attacks mm. happened. And, uh, of course, I was uh, as affected as anyone by that uh, horrific attack, and I was moved uh, to write about it. But I, I felt two, two things. One, it was, um, it was just not appropriate. It wasn't, I didn't feel it was tasteful to write fiction about 9-11 so close to the time happening. And uh, the book we're speaking of was published, I think, about five four or five years later. But I also find fundamentalist terrorism, um, whether it's Islamic or um, some of the the far Christian right, um, or any uh, even non-religious, just political terrorism, Mm. it's just not compelling. These are stupid, Mm. petty people who can cause a great deal of damage, but, but psychologically... There's nothing to them. They're like a natural disaster. They're like an earthquake. They're terrible, and yet they're not really worthy of analysis uh, to me. At any rate, that was my thinking back then. But I wanted to write about this pervasive sense of systematic, institutionalized evil. Yeah. I was so inspired to write about that. And you don't have to look very far <laughs> to end up <laughs> with Hitler and what he did to Germany. So those, those two elements of writing about this uh, sort of this mass of um, institutionalized evil and World War II, which I always was fascinated with and wanted to write about, I thought, well, there, there's my book, and it went from there. Wow. That, 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 <laughs> that, that makes sense to me. <clears throat> I don't think I would have done the same either. You know, um, I had a brother living in New York at the time, and, uh, and when the towers came down, that was... Uh, uh, that was when the whole world changed, as, as far as I could see. Um, it uh, was, did indeed, did indeed. It's totally a different world today. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, well, let me let me go off kilter just a little bit here. I just talked to um, um, Les Klinger and Lori King last week, and they have a uh, they've got a book similar to The Shadow of the Master. Classic tales from Edgar mm-hmm. Allan Poe, which you were, um, uh, which you were one of the contributors to Mike Conley's book, and uh, Les and Lori uh, just came out with their uh, with their book on Sherlock Holmes, which was fantastic. And and when I read this about the Shadow of the Master, uh, there was there was a kind of a parallel there. Um, uh, Conley took sixteen of Poe's classic short stories and. Uh, 
uh, had a bunch of you folks uh, like King and uh, Lawrence Block and uh, Laura Lippman uh, to to contribute. So, did, did uh, have you always been a Poe fan? Did did Poe uh, did Doyle have any impact on you when you were a child? Um, um, what's what's the attraction with Poe? Sure. Um, and oddly, you, you, you bring up uh, Les and, and Laurie, uh, because I, I've just been in touch with them, and they are doing a sequel oh, to wow. the uh, Sherlock Holmes book, and I'm contributing to that for next year. You know what? You know what, Jeff? I asked, I asked uh, Les and Laurie, when I, when I talked to them last week, they told me about this new book coming out, and they wouldn't say who's going to contribute. And the first thing, you can listen to it, but the first one I said is Deaver. He's got to be in there. Deaver's got to be in there. And they, I, I may ask you to thanks for this gig. Thank no, so no, 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 no. This is just a couple of days ago. So, no, but it, it, it kills me, man. I mean, I love to see you guys get out of your normalcy, and, and I love what you're doing. So what, what's Poe's... Well, um, what's with the, um, yeah. well, with the Poe thing, now this is very, this is very interesting, yeah. because, um, yes, I, uh, um, I have always been a, a fan of Poe, and he was you know, often considered the first, uh, he and Wilkie Collins, the first really detective-type uh, writers. And, um, but I, I, being a bit of a renegade mm-hmm. and uh, doing things differently if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've often said I'd rather be be different and wrong than right and conformist. Mm-hmm. So when I took the approach for my piece for the Poe, um, our, uh, the Poe anthology that Michael so wonderfully put together, I didn't write about the crime. I mm-hmm. took mm-hmm. one of his uh, poems because he was a, um, um, a masterful Wordsmith. Yes. Um, of, of course, we think of the, um, you know, the sort of the grand guignol macabre writing of his, which is, uh, you know, absolutely uh, foundational in the the thriller and crime writing field. And yet, we we tend to get caught up in his stories, as mm-hmm. we should, because mm-hmm. they're very compelling. But we, my impression was, we tend to kind of gloss over his ability to put words together, uh, because I believe that any kind of work of fiction is a combination of form and substance, and you can write the same story and use, you know, word list A, or figure of speech list A, and then hmm. figure of speech list B, and it's going to be, one is going to be transcendent, hmm. and the other is going to be very mundane. But Poe brought this beautiful sense of, um, of uh, language to his writing, so what I wrote about was the, uh, the song of his called uh, The Bells, right. which includes the wonderful um, word uh, that I believe he coined, tintinabulation. Uh, <laughs> and, it's, and if you can work that into a poem, believe me, you are indeed a master. <laughs> well, um, t- uh, give, me, give me a little sense of Poe in G minor real quickly. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, um, give me a it, sense. It uh, is about a... Um, uh, I, I took that, that uh, song... Um, I'm sorry, I took the poem. Poem, The Bells. Uh, right. The Bells, The Bells, mm-hmm. that was um, put to music by Phil Oakes, um, a wonderful uh, musician of my year. I used to be a folk singer, and Phil Oakes, who uh, had, had written a lot of uh, protest songs out of Bob Dylan, uh, <laughs> set that to music. And um, it was one I used to perform when I was a, a folk singer uh, many years ago. Right. Uh, it, it, and it 
is, is a uh, just absolutely uh, a captivating song about uh, how bells, different types of bells, signify elements in our life, uh, funeral bells, wedding bells, and, and so on, and, and, and so on. And that was my riff. Uh, that was my riff on it, and I described uh, a, a young folk singer and didn't really get into the, uh, the, the crime element. It was more of a, uh, uh, just an homage to a, a man who had, uh, you know, been able to look at, uh, look at life and how music and the sound of, in this case, the sound of bells, but how, how the, the, the music of life uh, affects us all. Yeah, well, music, you know, to me, music and words go hand in hand. I mean, uh, um, you can you can take any great story, put it to music, and it, and it turns into this, this wonderful Well, Greg, may, piece of may art. I shamelessly uh, use that as a segue to talk about <laughs> the, a book of mine that will be out uh, this year in June? Are you talking uh, about XO? I am indeed. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that was, I, my, I next, st- that was my next question, uh, baby. <laughs> I didn't want to step on step on your lines, but no. since you brought up uh, music so articulately, no. there, and I'll just no. mention to your your listeners real real briefly. This is a book Please. starring my series character Catherine Dance. Yes. And uh, for this book, she is trying to protect a young singer songwriter, sort of a uh, Taylor Swift kind of woman, very attractive, very talented, country-western singer, mm-hmm. and um, she's being stalked by this horrific, nefarious stalker. And the, um, as part of the book, I have written uh, an album of uh, uh, country-western songs. Um, I haven't written the music. I, I wrote the lyrics. Uh, I'm, I've got people in Nashville who are actually recording the music, oddly enough, as you and I are speaking wow. right now. They're recording the songs. Wow. Young woman singer there. And... Um, the songs have clues as to what's actually going on, and you can you can download some of them for free. Those are the ones with the clues in them. And then, if if, if you want, if you like them, you can go to iTunes or uh, I think we're doing a deal with I think Starbucks or Target or Walmart or something like that, and and buy the uh, buy the full album. But you'll get some of the songs for free just by virtue of going online to my website. But but I love the idea, as you were just saying of the combination of words, music, and, and storytelling. Yeah, it, it really does make a difference. Um, I, uh, I find audiobooks that are uh, narrated by other than the author. Um, it, boy, you got to get the right narrator. Um, that's what I've noticed. Oh, yeah. You know, I've, ta- I've, yeah. I've listened to a couple... Sandra Browns and uh, I forget who the narrator was, but it's like forget about it. Um, and I've there's just... an interesting you mentioned that because there's an uh, author, and I simply because um, I, I won't I won't mention the name just to keep everybody's feelings <laughs> safe. But the books are the books are okay. She, mm-hmm. she well, given the gen, uh, gender away, but she mm-hmm. does she does quite well. But the books are okay. Mm-hmm. The reader is such a great actress. And steps into the roles of all the characters so well, I tend not to read the books, but I always listen to them. And I, uh, I'll be on the airplane listening along to sort of the com- comedy crime genre, and roaring out loud. I'm sure the flight attendant wants to ask me to get off the airplane at the next stop because I'm <laughs> laughing so hard. But it's the, it's really the reader that makes the the, the story. Uh, more than what it it is on the printed page. Uh, totally, absolutely. I could just see you, man, on that 
plane with those headphones on, singing away. No, <laughs> well, of course that that that's cool to me because yeah, uh, you were a uh, uh, a performer many many years ago, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I, I got a real high out of getting up on stage, and I I still enjoy yeah. my uh, my book events. I do. Uh, I, I never read from the, the the book. People want to come. They want to learn about me they they can read the book sure. um so what i do is a like a half hour 40 minute kind of a, a comedic presentation about uh, about writing or about my life in writing and it works well for everybody because when i was a folk singer um, i certainly wrote some pretty good songs but the the other word in that phrase mm. is singing <laughs> and i really couldn't <laughs> so so, I, so this way i can just talk to the people and, and i enjoy the entertaining i think they do and uh, we don't have to worry about uh, people plugging their ears up for uh, my hitting bad notes yeah <laughs> well and uh <laughs> i, I some just popped into my head who who is the uh Ridley Pearson and Amy Tan and Steve King and oh uh, the, the rock bottom yeah rock bottom yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. man get in with them you know they haven't been on stage for a year or two um, I, it's been a while you're right I hadn't thought about it's that, been a but, long uh, time I talked to Pearson a couple of months ago and and uh, he and I were just cracking up uh, uh, because he he had mentioned that they were s- they're so bad. <laughs> I mean, they're so bad. You know, but... I, I I know all of them, and they're, they're wonderful folks. But yeah, they are bad. <laughs> no question about it. But, but but that doesn't stop them, and, and God bless them. You I, know, I know, so. I know, I know. Uh, unbelievable. Well, look at um. Give me uh, listen. I want I want uh, another uh, paragraph or, or I want something else on XO because uh, uh, you've got uh, five books now in the Catherine Dance series, and uh, this will be number five um, XO. So just give me a little more. You know, the, um, uh, you mentioned um, sure. the performer. Yeah. Well, what, what, yeah. What happens is, um, I, I, and as you you know, being a, a reader of some of my Books, yeah, yeah. I, I do a great deal of research. I love research. Yes. Uh, of course, it's important to make sure that the research you put into the book is relevant. I, you know, I hate reading a good, solid thriller, and then it's it's clear that the, the, the writer has discovered a topic that he or she thinks is neat, yeah. and then they throw in a page, and then two pages, and then sometimes a chapter of this interesting topic, but... You know, a book shouldn't be interesting. It should be compelling. So I did a, I always do a huge amount of research. I only use a fairly small portion of it, though, mm. in the book, because we want the story to move forward. But I, I did a lot of um, looking into the stalking phenomenon. Mm. And I didn't realize how pervasive it was. And, of course, you think about, um, say, Hinckley and Jodie Foster. Oh, yeah, sure. And... Um, course, the Chapman and, and John Lennon, mm-hmm. uh, those are the celebrity stalking situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebecca Schaefer in California, who was tragically murdered by a stalker some years ago. Uh, that, that's, that is a very, very minor portion of stalking. One quarter of women in America have been stalked at one point or another. Sometimes uh, it's very minor. Uh, but unpleasant, of course, as it often is, frequently it rises to the level of totally disrupting their lives, mm-hmm. and not in a huge number of cases, thank goodness, but 
not infrequently it it becomes uh, it becomes uh, violent uh, violence directed either against them or people uh, for instance husbands or boyfriends or family members who whom the stalker is uh, very jealous of and um, so this was the, the book really is about psychology the dark this terrible dark psychology of stalking and it all begins simply because my character uh, Kaylee Town is her name, the, my country western singer, right. um, sends a form email to one of her 10,000 fans saying, thanks for your interest in my music, um, uh, hope to see you at a concert sometime, XO, Kaylee, hugs and kisses, mm-hmm. Kaylee. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he's just unstable enough to think she really means it, hugs and kisses, mm-hmm. she loves me, mm-hmm. and nothing will Nothing will change his mind on that. Lawyers, uh, mm-hmm. police, uh, and he never does anything quite illegal, at least in the very beginning of the, the book. And we kind of see him work his way into her life. And Catherine Dance, my um, my heroine, is uh, you know charged with uh, protecting her, but it's 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 really hard. It's uh, you you can't get if someone does not actually cross the line and break the law, you can't. You can't get five policemen to follow you, and she hires a security guard. But even that, he can't be there 100 percent of the time. So it's um, it's a. I, I don't think you're, if your readers pick it up, I don't think they're going to get much sleep. Um, I apologize for that, but I think they, it's going to be like four nights of of, of of pretty sleepless, turbulent evenings. Well, I, I can't wait. Um, my my wife and I are drawn to these serial killer motifs and stories because we look at it from you know we're pretty decent people we think and we we've been taught to love and give and and but but what's so fascinating about that kind of mind jeff to me anyway is is how that how that brain and at a very very young age can can go off kilter you know um i don't know what it is well, i don't know what happens well what's um What's interesting, you mentioned that you you said uh, you and your wife, like myself and uh, uh, my partner, she and I think we're, you know, we we do good things for people. We like people. Mm-hmm. We don't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Serial killers think exactly the same thing. I they know. don't. They're not doing anything. That's wrong. what's so fascinating. Yep. Yep. That's what's so to, fascinating. To Yes, we give we give money to some people who need it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we invite friends over for the, the holidays. Yeah. Uh, somebody needs a, a ride in a car, and even if it's kind of inconvenient, you know, we'll do that anyway because his, his truck's broken down or something like that. Serial killer, yeah, I'll go kill somebody. I'm, I'm doing a good deed. Okay, fine. And then, uh, and and that's what's that's what's particularly. Uh, you know, particularly scary because you can't argue with them. You can't say, "Well, this is this is bad." They say, "Well, no, it isn't." It's, uh, I don't feel guilty. I don't feel bad at all. But they certainly provide us with a good deal of fodder to write our <laughs> write yes. our books with. Yes, they do. Um, um, uh, you as as well as a lot of other uh, great authors. Um, uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, the human mind to me is is just so vast and so complex. I, in some ways, I hope we never figure it out. In some ways i hope we do figure it out someday anyway hmm. hey I jeff think it'll be a few years before we come to that point. oh you're probably right hey jeff before we leave i'd like you to um uh just uh uh give me a give me a little uh 
background. Um, you're, you're a member of the Mystery Writers of America, correct? Uh, that's right. Yes. yes. And um, that's a large group now. I mean, that's an ever-popular uh, growing group. Um, do uh, One quick question. Um, I know you do the work yourself. You get the ideas, you know, from your own head. Um, but do you guys ever get together and talk? Um, obviously, uh, um, your your latest uh, um, your latest uh, uh, <laughs> story uh, in the Poe book, Poe and G Minor. Um, that's something that you developed. Uh, from that whole uh, uh, type of uh, uh, that whole that whole uh, genre, but but do, do mm-hmm. you do you guys get together? Do you play off each other, or is this just like a uh, a notary uh, a notary a notarizing type of uh, foundation or, yeah, or club? Yeah, I um, yeah I no I don't work with anybody. I mean I, I employ editors, yeah, uh, yeah. copy editors, yeah, but okay. uh, no I don't uh, kick ideas around with anybody. I um, I'm one of those kids that the, the teacher in kindergarten would, you know, look at the checklist and say he doesn't play well with others. Um, I didn't. I, I wasn't a bully. In fact, I got beat up more uh, more times than I like to think about. But I uh, was. Uh, uh, but I, I just like to come up with the ideas uh, myself. I, I get together with uh, writers. I do uh, like the mystery writers conference. I'm involved in uh, the uh, international thriller writers, and of course. Uh, I've been quite involved in European and British writing. I just had written, it came out last year, but and I think it'll be out in paperback in, in this country pretty soon, a book called Carte Blanche. Oh, yeah. That's the new James Bond continuation yes. novel. Yes. And so I, I go to British um, uh, writers' conventions, too, but mm. that's more social, and I, I do like to talk about writing. I, I gave you my thoughts earlier about doing this outline. Yes. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, I feel pretty strongly that an author really needs to take the concerns of his or her audience into account first. I see a lot of self-indulgence in all of the creative arts, of course, uh, but writing uh, among them, and that's really no, really no excuse. Uh, people spend a lot of time with a book, and they spend a lot of money. They're not inexpensive especially in this economy, and it's the author's job to make sure that they produce the best possible book they can. And, um, I'm, you know, I have some pretty strong thoughts on that, and I, I, I like to go to the conferences and share those with aspiring authors. Right. And uh, so that I enjoy, but, um, but then authors get together and we drink and we gossip about how how irritated we are somebody got a bigger advance than we. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's just par for the course. I think. I'm sure. Well, one last thing, uh, one last thing, Jeff. Um, um, indulge the audience in something personal. Um, I know you've got a couple of dogs, a couple of very small dogs, I should say. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, what do you What do you like to do in your in your spare time, Jeff? Um, uh, you got you like American food? You like uh, European food? Uh, give me Give me something. Uh, give me something quick. Sure. sure. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. And for your listeners, this is kind of fun because uh, you and I were talking before we uh, yeah. we actually hit the record button about the. Yeah. Um, uh, about the dogs, and I said I had to move them two rooms away yeah. because 
if the FedEx guy comes to the door, we're not interviewing anything. We'll hear those dogs like crazy. That's my alarm system. But uh, well, but um, I, I uh, sit in a dark room and I write uh, all day, and that means uh, at the end of the day, I like to socialize. Um, so I usually do a dinner party once a week. I like to cook. I enjoy wine. You like to I, cook? I, 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 yeah, yeah, it's one of my hobbies. Oh, yeah. I, I say I like to collect wine, but the fact is something happens to the collection. It seems to keep disappearing. I don't know how that happens. Yeah, so, I don't know, I don't know so either. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 the collection just keeps getting smaller and smaller, so I have to go out and buy more wine. But <laughs> anyway, um, uh, but I enjoy you know spending time with, uh, with, with friends, and that's um, also it's cooking is sort of a, a well, it is not. Sort of, it's very it, definitely a, a very physical activity. And after I've been uh, uh, sitting on my my rear end and, and <laughs> thinking and writing for eight or ten hours, it's just good to get out and not have to think. Just uh, just play with sharp knives and fire. I love it. <laughs> Cook, cooking is one of my most enjoyable things to do. Um, I'm, I've been a I've been a Chefing since I was a very young kid. Um, Ita- oh, no kidding! Uh, Italian, Italian American baby, and and seriously, I was in the kitchen as far back as I can remember, uh, helping Nana make the meatballs or the chicken or whatever. And uh, right, um, I'm cooking to me when I have a stress day. Uh, it, it, when I when I get in that kitchen, I'm in heaven. It, it's absolutely, yeah. uh, I just love it so much. This is great. Well, that describes it when you're. Uh, it, it's an antidote to stress because uh, it, really is. it just calms you right down. Yeah. Well, hey, this has been great, Jeff. I uh, I want to thank you. Uh, we're we're out of time here, but I want to thank you very much for spending the time with me today. Um, I want to thank NPR and our uh, KISU station managers um, for making this possible. Jeffrey, um, I believe we can find your books anywhere in the world. Correct. I mean, they're all uh, over the place. That's true, and uh, if yeah. you want uh, specific guidance for, I, I support um, uh, independent bookstores. Uh, I support all bookstores, but I'm uh, particularly supportive of independents. And if you you'd like to see some different locations, or your uh, your listeners would, you can go to my website at jeffreydeaver.com and um, um, find out far more than you need to know about me than you'd ever want to know about me, but uh, just some upcoming things. And my, my uh, tour for this coming summer will, will be up probably in a month or so. And uh, uh, that's about where we are. Uh, folks, um, be sure to pick up any of Jeff Deaver's books. And uh, until next time, keep reading, everybody. 